Silicon Valley donors are basically trying to pick a fight with Gavin Newsom by contributing to the whole recall of Gavin Newsom. So I found this pretty interesting. So let's get into it. Right. So some major Silicon Valley donors are mobilizing behind a plan to recall California Governor Gavin Newsom using their money to turn what was a quixotic attempt into a looming political threat to Newsom's career. In recent weeks, leading tech figures have started flexing their political muscle by funding Rescue California, a group financing the effort to collect enough signatures to force a recall vote later this year. The stature of Newsom, once a mayor of San Francisco and a favorite of the tech industry, has fallen in the eyes of some of some as California's vaccine rollout has lagged the rest of the nation. And the recall appears increasingly likely to at least qualify for the ballot, though Newsom's opponents aren't yet known. To be sure, Newsom remains liked by many tech industry leaders, but now some people from that same industry are providing to be a political thorn, with some supporters even turning on him. So some of the money is coming from conservative tech leaders. The famed tech investor Doug Leon, one of the few major Silicon Valley supporters of Trump during his presidency, and his wife donated about one hundred thousand dollars to the recall effort late last month, according to state records. And another one hundred thousand dollars came from venture capitalist Dixon Dahl, a longtime GOP donor, and his wife. Now, other money has come from Newsom's earlier supporters, which I found interesting. David Sachs, a prominent tech executive. Donated about sixty thousand dollars when Newsom first ran for governor a few years ago, and now he's supporting a recall. And his wife Jacqueline contributed twenty-five thousand dollars to the recall effort last week. Chamath Palyaptia, a former Facebook executive and a major Democratic donor, has said publicly that he is a supporter of the effort, although the billionaire has yet to make a donation to it. So basically, someone who's not really willing to、uh, put their money where their mouth is. So the other tech leaders, though, rank among the biggest overall donors to the recall effort, which has raised about 1.5 million dollars to date. That could all presage real money in a recall campaign that would likely cost more than 100 million dollars in total. So certainly they wouldn't be upset to have some buy-in from Silicon Valley, but I don't know if I'd say that their involvement would be crucial during this initial qualifying stage," said Rob Pyers. Research director for California Target Book, which analyzes money in Californian politics. Once it's at that point, then just by virtue of their deep pockets, Silicon Valley becomes an important player. The moves come as some leading tech industry figures, especially those with a conservative bent, are rebelling against a tax system, COVID-related policies, and a broader culture that they see as repressive. Elon Musk, the billionaire founder of Tesla, which he kind of fights. As being the top number one richest man in the world, other than you know, oil billionaires, and a broader culture that they see as repressive. And well, I completely screwed that one. Has been sharply critical of California's policies on the coronavirus and how the state treats the tech industry so much so that he moved last year to Texas, and some other tech leaders have flocked to Miami, where leaders have tried to capitalize on the disgust and create Silicon Valley's magic. And Dunsmore, a Republican fundraiser who is leading the recall effort, said that it is precisely the type of Silicon Valley donor she is pursuing to finance her effort. It's a cautious industry, 
And historically, it's been very democratic. She said, "Now, when you start talking about lost business in the state of California and facing the idea that you might have to move out and move your entire business, people start taking a different view of where they stand." Dunsmore said the fundraising effort in Silicon Valley consisted largely of major donors reaching out to other major donors. A Newsom recall effort seemed like a fool's errand until recently. California has been one of the most aggressive states in seeking to limit the spread of the coronavirus, implementing one of the country's first stay-at-home orders. Some business leaders bristled at that crackdown, but experts say it contributed to California's relative success at mitigating the pandemic. But eh, hasn't really done much now. So the logic of that trade-off, though, has been tested in recent months by the rampant spread of the disease in the state, especially in the Los Angeles area. California has also had one of the country's worst records when it comes to distributing the vaccine, at a time when experts say too many states are moving too slowly. And Newsom's credibility was also damaged by a visit to an exclusive Napa Valley restaurant in November that undercut his own rhetoric about staying home. We have now created an inhospitable culture for innovation, Palyaptia said on his podcast last week. I think he should get recalled. He's trash. I would have to agree with that. I mean, just looking from like the outside in, everything that he's done doesn't make any sense. They're not like based on anything, which is pretty disturbing, right? Like when you start making decisions that aren't based on literally anything, that's scary. So the real test will be whether these leaders dig deep rather than merely use their platforms to speak out. Paliaptia, the former Facebook executive, has tweeted a link to the Rescue California committee, but didn't return requests for comment about whether he planned to pledge money to the effort. Dunsmore says she hadn't heard from Paliaptia or even of him, despite him being a major Democratic donor, which speaks to the recall's uphill climb. Paliaptia contributed more than one million dollars to back Democrats during the 2020 campaign. Newsom rose to prominence alongside many of today's tech leaders, and his political base remains San Francisco. And major donors to his last campaign included former Yahoo CEO Marissa Mayer, billionaire philanthropist Lorraine Powell Jobs, and even Trump ally and venture capitalist Peter Thiel. Josh Felsler, a tech investor who has been close to Newsom since he met the then lieutenant governor in a gym and became a workout partner, argued that Newsom is quite Sympathetical with the tech industry, pointing to his record on issues like gay marriage, gun tr- gun control, and climate change, which is all interesting. He stands up for the things he believes in, even when it's unpopular in tech. We all think of ourselves as pioneers, and I think that's what the governor has been," said Fauster, who is part of a pandemic advisor group to Newsom. Composed of business leaders, there's a strong libertarian vein in tech. That group, which is a minority of tech folks, they're wealthy and activists. And then there's the majority of the folks in tech, and they're not funding this recall, and they're looking for ways to help. Some tech leaders, even those who are critical of Newsom, told Recode that they have concerns that the replacement for Newsom could be worse. Desmore said that comes up often in her conversation with possible Democratic supporters. But the thing is. Who could possibly be worse than him, right? Because he's basically destroyed that state so badly that people are running away from it. So, if organizers collect the required 1.5 million signatures by the mid-March deadline, which observers say is likely, the recall would be triggered with the vote happening sometime late in 2021 or early in 2022. 
a number of prominent California Republicans, including former San Diego Mayor Kevin Falconer, have expressed interest in challenging Newsom. While that might ordinarily sound like a long shot in the heavily Democratic state, there is a precedent. The 2003 recall of Democratic Governor Gray Davis and the subsequent election of Republican Arnold Schwarzen, I don't even know how to pronounce his last name, honestly. You know, basically the Terminator, right? So the Republican Terminator. But I find this pretty interesting because I understand it, right? And I kind of hope for California that this would actually go through and he would be kicked out. Because the thing is, you could tell from the way he speaks on interviews and, you know, announcements and all that kind of stuff, right? He's pretty much vying for a higher position. Like, that's the whole reason why he's been doing anything. It's not out of the kindness of his heart. It's not for the betterment of the people in his state. It's so that he could try to get as much political power as possible, be viewed as the hero that stopped the COVID, and potentially become maybe president in the future. But the thing is, that's never going to happen. And the memory of him is going to be basically that he was one of the worst governors in history. Right? Like, that's what's sad about this whole thing. Like, he's going to be remembered in a very, very bad light. And it's all because he has too much pride to basically acknowledge, like, hey, everything that we're doing is completely wrong and we need to change it. But no, he keeps hammering down more and more and more and more and even lies about breaking the exact rules and suggestions that he tells people of his state to do. So it's just... The thing that I don't like about politicians is that almost every single one of them are a whole bunch of hypocrites, and that's the problem, right? Because once you start being hypocritical, once you start kind of like, you know, getting rid of the trust that you have of the people that you're supposed to govern or represent, it basically just, you know portrays that, or basically foreshadows, should I say, that the future is not going to be bright, and nobody really likes that, right? People like bright futures, and continuously having people like him in a position of power is just going to make everything worse, right? Because this is basically what's wrong when someone who has basically no skills or no knowledge be put into a position of power who ends up completely destroying something that used to be great. Scene is back in the headlines. So, Leon Black, which by the way is a cool name, has to step down from the as the Apollo CEO after the firm finds more payments to Jeffrey Epstein, right? So an inquiry is finding that Leon Black, the billionaire boss of Apollo Global Management, paid Jeffrey Epstein $158 million, touched off an attempt to remove him. So the founders of Apollo Global Management, one of the world's biggest private equity firms, engaged in a brief power struggle this weekend over control of the firm. A rift that opened up after an inquiry revealed that one founder, Apollo's chief executive and chairman, Liam Block, had paid more than $150 million to Jeffrey Epstein. 
On Monday, Mr. Black announced his plan to step down as chief executive this year. I have advised the Apollo board that I will retire as CEO on or before my 70th birthday in July and remain as chairman, he said in a statement. The review, ordered by the firm's board at Mr. Black's behest in October, after the New York Times detailed at least $75 million in payments, found that Mr. Black had paid Mr. Epstein $158 million in a five-year period ending in 2017. He had also lent Mr. Epstein more than $30 million, only $10 million of which was paid back, the report found. So Mr. Black's payments effectively bankrolled the lifestyle of Mr. Epstein, whom Mr. Black viewed as a confirmed bachelor with electric taste, according to the report, in the years after his 2008 guilty plea in Florida for certain charges, right? So also Mr. Black believed that Mr. Epstein had served his time for that case and deserved a second chance, the report said. It said that there was no evidence that Mr. Black had participated in any of Mr. Epstein's criminal activities or that Mr. Epstein had ever introduced Mr. Black to any questionable situations, right? So the details of their financial dealings, Mr. Epstein's advice was worth perhaps $2 billion in tax savings to Mr. Black, according to the report, which, you know, it... That seems kind of sketchy, right? So the details of their financial dealings, Mr. Epstein's advice was worth about $2 billion in tax savings. How does that make sense? I don't understand that, right? And it created friction between Mr. Black and one of Apollo's other founders, Joshua Harris, according to three people briefed on the discussions. In recent months, Apollo investors have begun openly questioning the financial ties between Mr. Black and Mr. Epstein, who died in 2019. One of the people said Mr. Harris believed that Mr. Black showed poor judgment on consorting with Mr. Epstein and that the new findings would further hurt Apollo's reputation. Apollo's board held a video conference on Sunday to approve the findings of the review, according to two people briefed on the discussions. At the meeting, Mr. Black also announced his plans to step down this year and hand over the chief executive job to Mark Rowan, Apollo's third founder. Mr. Black intends to remain chairman of the New York Forum, which manages $455 billion for institutional investors, including pension plans and sovereign wealth funds. During a series of meetings on Sunday evening, including with individual board members, Mr. Harris raised objections to Mr. Black's timeline for stepping down. Believing that the reputational threat was so serious that Mr. Black should relinquish the chief executive role without delay, the people said. Mr. Harris also made his case to his co-founders that night in discussions with Apollo's executive committee, which consists of the three of them. And in the end, Mr. Harris's objection fell on deaf ears to the people who requested an amenity to discuss private deliberations. Mr. Rowan, who built Apollo's insurance business but had largely stepped away from the firm's day-to-day operations in recent years, will take over when Mr. Black steps down. Mr. Black informed Apollo's clients of the succession plan and the findings of the review in a letter on Monday evening. And Mr. Harris will continue in his current role as a senior managing director focused on the firm's financial performance and working closely with Mr. Rowan. According to the letter, the contents of which were reviewed by the Times, the letter also informed clients of other proposed governance changes, including adding four more independent directors. It also laid out Mr. Black's plan to donate $200 million to charities that support gender equality and trafficking. 
Which, you know, it seems odd that you would donate that money to those types of charities while you were quite literally just giving money to someone who was basically involved in very questionable things. So the review conducted by the law firm Deschert began after the Times reported that Mr. Black had paid Mr. Epstein at least $75 million in the years after his 2008 case in Florida. Now, I don't really agree with what the New York Times says because it says Mr. Epstein offed himself in Manhattan, right? Honestly, I cannot really agree with that. Feel free to give your point of view. But I don't think he was the one that did it to himself based off various sources. So District Review found that Mr. Epstein had provided legitimate advice on trust in estate planning, tax issues, and matters related to Mr. Black's extensive art collection and other subjects. Deschert said the value of the tax savings to Mr. Black was at least $1 billion and possibly as much as $2 billion. Though at the same time, the law firm noted Mr. Epstein also would seek to take credit for good ideas, regardless of his level of involvement, which likely was intended to bolster his perceived value to Black. Well, yeah, because to be frank, I don't think there's anyone that could literally offer someone or like provide them with a $1 billion to $2 billion worth of tax savings, right? Especially Epstein. So the relationship began to deteriorate in 2016, the report said, amid a payment dispute over tens of millions of dollars in fees. The two men did not communicate after 2018, according to the review. So Mr. Epstein did not invest in any Apollo managed funds, according to the report. It had found that his companies had bought more than 200,000 shares in the private equity firm's initial public offering and held that stake until at least September 2019, a month after Mr. Epstein died. Many of Apollo's biggest clients, including major pension funds, charitable foundations, and sovereign wealth funds, had been awaiting the results of the report. The 63 billion Pennsylvania public school employees' retirement system has said it would not invest any additional money with Apollo until the review was complete. CalPERS, the California Public Employees Retirement System, one of Apollo's biggest clients, has said it expected its outside investment managers to follow the fund's own values. Other pension funds in Texas, Illinois, and Ontario also said they would be watching the investigation closely. In his three-page letter to investigators on Monday, Mr. Black acknowledged that heightened media scrutiny of Apollo has generated unwelcome attention for those investors. I personally regret any distraction that may have caused, he wrote. Mr. Black said Apollo had hired a law firm, Wilmer Hale, to look into its reputational risk management practices and suggest improvements. Apollo grew out of the ashes of Drexel Burnham Lampert, the investment bank that collapsed in 1990 amid a trading investigation that sent the since-pardoned Michael Milken to prison. Although Mr. Black started Apollo with his younger partners, Mr. Harris is 56 and Mr. Rowan 58, he has been long been the face and voice of the firm. And in building Apollo into a global financial powerhouse, Mr. Black has made himself and his co-founders immensely rich. His personal fortune is estimated at more than $8 billion, and he owns a massive private art collection, including a version of Edvard Munch the Scream, and is the chairman of the Museum of Modern Art. 
But when Apollo held his most recent earnings call in late October, there were already signs that his dealings with Mr. Epstein were causing ripples, both in the firm and among investors. In an unusual move, Mr. Black wrote a brief statement about the Epstein matter before handling over the meeting to Mr. Harris and Mr. Rowan. Apollo has long specialized in buying up distressed companies and retooling them, but it also boasts large credit infrastructure and real estate businesses. Mr. Rowan was the driving force behind Apollo's thriving insurance business and its insurance subsidiary, Athene Holding, which has fueled the Wall Street's firm earnings in recent years. At one time, both Mr. Rowan and Mr. Harris were seen as the heirs apparent to Mr. Black, but with Mr. Rowan's decision to pull back from day-to-day affairs, many on Wall Street assumed the job would fall to Mr. Harris, who has the run, the nuts and bolts of Apollo's vast buyout operation. And Mr. Harris, who is an owner of the Philadelphia 76ers basketball team and the New Jersey Devils hockey team, said he would fully support Mr. Rowan as chief executive. I will focus on expanding our global search for investor returns, which is at the core of our success, he said in a statement. As the only three members of Apollo's executive committee, the founders hold considerable sway over the company. As of now, the decision to name Mr. Rohn as Mr. Black's successor does not need approval of the company's board, and all three men, who have much of their net worth tied up in the company, have a vested interest in the stability of the firm. Like, this is pretty crazy, right? Like, it's crazy that people get so wealthy without really using their own money, right? This is basically what you can learn from pretty much this story, is that this is why investing into assets, whether it be stocks, real estate, is so powerful for growing your wealth. That's something that you could actually learn from this, right? Because if you continuously invest into stocks and obviously be smart about it, you can make a very good return over the lifetime of basically your life, right? Whereas if you just kept everything inside a bank account, all of it's going to go to basically nothing, right? With inflation and all that kind of stuff, you should always continuously try to invest your money because people like Leon Black and all these other people are able to make hundreds of millions, billions of dollars of just making money from literal money which is crazy. So we have Target pulling products allegedly made with forced monkey labor like previous other major grocery stores where they had apparently products that were made from forced monkey labor, right? So Target would no longer sell coconut milk made by the Thai company Chakoa after an investigation alleged the drink is tied to forced monkey labor. The people for the ethical treatment of animals announced Monday, or better known as PETA. By dropping Chacoa, Target is joining thousands of stores that refuse to profit from chained monkeys' misery, PETA Executive Vice President Tracy Raymond wrote in a statement. PETA exposés have confirmed that Thai coconut producers are exploiting monkeys and lying about it so there's no excuse for any grocery store to keep Chacoa on its shelves. PETA, which has been tracking monkey exploitation in Thailand since 2019, conducted two undercover investigations that found primates are forced to pick coconuts all day with chains around their necks. And the group's probe found cruelty to monkeys on every farm, at every monkey training facility, and in every coconut picking contest that used monkey labor.
When not being forced to pick coconuts or perform in circus-style shows for tourists, the animals were kept tethered, chained to old tires, or confined to cages barely larger than their bodies, Peter wrote in a news release. Following Peter's investigations, the coconut industry claimed they changed their practice and were no longer using monkey labor, but a second probe found it was still happening. Peter Asia's second investigation found producers still using monkey labor and industry insiders discussing how farms conceal this practice by simply hiding monkeys until auditors leave or by hiring contractors to bring in monkeys only during harvest time, Peter said. Target told The Post they decided to pull the products in November last year. We believe in the humane treatment of animals and expect those who do business with us to do the same, a spokesperson wrote in a statement. We take seriously the claims made against Chakoa, and given they were unable to sufficiently address the concerns raised, we made the decision to remove their product from our assortment. Peter has been lobbying major grocery chains to stop selling Chakoa, and so far, more than 26,000 stores, including Wegmans, Costco, Food Lion, Stop and Shop, and now Target, have agreed to cut ties with the brand. But what I also find is interesting, right? All these stores that are basically saying like, oh no, we will no longer sell products that are allegedly sold made from forced monkey labor, but they are willing to sell tech products that were made with forced child labor or forced labor in general. So I don't understand the whole ethical standpoint on this because how can you sell one thing based on the ethical moral grounds but sell another thing and completely ignore the ethical moral grounds of that? I mean, perhaps I'm foolish, but to me, it seems a little bit hypocritical.